invite Chad to come forward and read the scriptures for us this morning. Good morning. Um, our scripture comes from uh, 1 Peter, uh, chapter 1, 3 through 9. Uh, it's 1014 in your brown Bibles and then uh, 656 in your paperbacks. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to uh, be born again uh, to living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, from the dead, to the inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, keep in heaven, or kept in heaven for you, who by God's powers being guarded through faith for our salvation, uh, ready to be uh, revealed in the same time, or I'm sorry, in the last time. In his re, uh, rejoice, uh, though now, uh, for a little while, if necessary, you have been uh, greeted by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through, uh, perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found in result of praise, in praise and glory, and honor, at the res at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not been seen. Or, sorry, though you have not seen him, uh, you love him. Though you not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice, uh, with joy that is inexpressible and uh, filled with it, uh, with glory. Uh, obtaining the outcome of your faith, uh, the salvation of your souls. Uh, the word of the Lord. question I want to open up with this morning is a simple one, but a, but a difficult one. And that is, what hope can we find in this life uh, that often seems so uh, hopeless and so difficult uh, with such struggle? Uh, many of us here, even this morning, have come so closely, even, even this year, even the past few months, uh, with, with grief and with sorrow, uh, and it feels very close to home. We've dealt with loss We've dealt with brokenness, we've dealt with disappointment, and we have heard the cries of even spouses, and we have felt the loneliness of abandonment. Uh, we feel sorrow. This is, this is something very common to us today. And though our experiences vary, uh, all of us can relate to this, even, even as we look at First Peter, the, the scripture that Chad read for us. We all come from different backgrounds, but we can relate to this fact that we do suffer in this world passage that Chad read for us is written by a man named Peter. And so in Peter's time, about 2,000 years ago, there was this famous poet who lived back then. And, and he, he set forth in this poem almost what it was to live like in those days. And hear with me these words. He says in this poem, Suns may set and rise again, but us, with our brief light, can set but once. One never-ending night must be slept. Let me read that again. Suns must 
may set and rise again, but us, with our brief light, can set but once. One never-ending night must be slept. So I don't mean to bring the whole room down, and that, that doesn't really make us think of butterflies and lemonade and uh, bright skies, but the point is that this is the world into which Peter is writing this scripture, into this world into which Peter is trying to speak to a people. It was a very dim world. And Greek thought, because we said at the outset of this series, uh, there was a lot of thought uh, influenced by the Greeks of what life looked like, what the afterlife looked like, what this world looks like. And so in Greek thought, there was nothing to look forward to after this life. This life was already as bad as it was. You had your struggles, you had your distresses, you had your troubles, and then you had nothing but infinite emptiness to look forward to. There was no hope. Hope was killed. And so, this letter is written by Peter during these times. Peter was a leader of the early Christian movement. When, when Jesus first came, he walked with him. And he wrote this letter to a group, group of Christians who were suffering, who were in the midst of suffering. What was their suffering? They were being persecuted. They were being killed. Their homes were being ransacked because of who they were. And they were Christians who believed in the gospel who believed in Jesus, and because of who they were, they were foreigners. And even by, by the birth, they were foreigners to this land. And so they did not belong. And so Peter is writing to these people. Their lives were being wrecked because of Jesus Christ. Their lives were sorrowful. Their lives were full of sorrow. So as we think of their condition, as we think of the world in which they live, what words of consolation does Peter choose to give to these sojourners, to these pilgrims of the faith who have been taken through the ringer? What could he possibly say to them? To these Christians who were proclaiming God's love and mercy, yet seemed to be under the weight of oppression and of trouble. In, in a world where everyone said that there's nothing else outside of this, what could he possibly tell these sojourners in faith? He says this, as we read in 1 Peter. He says that you have a living hope. You have a living hope. And you can almost hear them ask, how, why, why, why are you saying this? And Peter responds, because you have been born again. And again they ask, how is this possible? And Peter, with great joy, says, because Jesus Christ has resurrected from the grave. And you can imagine that those words are deeply, deeply consoling and comforting in these times of sorrow for these Christians. Here's what Peter wants to do. He wants to elevate their thoughts high above their situation, and he wants them to look down so that they can see clearly. He wants them to look beyond the city where they live right now. He wants them to look forward to the city of God that is coming. He wants them to see clearly. Peter wants these Christians to know that they feel homesick for a reason. Because their citizenship is not in the city of man, but it is somewhere else where they belong truly, eternally. That though they are rejected when they are living on this earth, that they belong somewhere. That they do have a living hope awaiting. Seven Mile Road, we too are sojourners living in this world as pilgrims. And Peter has some great words for us this morning. 
Peter also wants us to elevate our eyes above the ground of where we are living. He wants us to see a greater vision for what God has for us. Our struggles may look different, but if we sit beside the original readers of this text, we would be in good company because we can relate with them. As they hear Peter talk to them through this letter, may we sit beside them and hear these words as consolations for our own hearts this morning. And as we work through the text, here's, here's what I want us to hear. Here's my prayer for us today as we leave. Take this away with you. That the resurrection of Christ has awakened us with new life to a sure hope for tomorrow, resulting in profound joy for today. Let me say that again. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has awakened us with new life to a sure hope for tomorrow, resulting in profound joy for today. If you're new here, we want to say again, welcome. We're really glad that you're here. And we are in the middle of a series right now that we've called The Resurrection. And what we're doing during these weeks is trying to see what the resurrection of Jesus Christ means for the world and for us in light of who we are now and in light of where we are going. And so as we continue in this series, we're going to consider 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. Join with me as we pray, asking God to bless our time today. God, we pray that you would cause our hearts to turn to you today. We often cannot find our way, and like the readers of 1 Peter, we feel tired and we feel worn down. We live in a context of suffering and sorrow. It often feels like what we believe does not translate into the actual lives that we're living, and so we need you. Our hearts are both burdened with grief, and we see the scriptures calling us to something else. Our vision is so small. Where do we go for clarity to restore our hearts to joy? Where but your presence, O oh God, where we can find truth and life and all that is perfect. God, you are our source of joy and peace, our source of rest and comfort. By your word and spirit, awaken us to new life today so that hope and joy might be found. Guide my words to speak from you and cause our hearts to believe. Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, so again, here's what we want to hear today. The resurrection of Christ has awakened us with new life to a sure hope for tomorrow, resulting in profound joy for today. Let's consider the first part of that. The resurrection of Christ has awakened us with new life. 1 Peter 1, verse 3, we'll go to it, read it quickly. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ for, from the dead. And so as we read this scripture, for some of us uh, in the world that we live in today, the language of this verse uh, may throw us off a little bit. It makes us somewhat uncomfortable because in, in this text, you, say, you see that Peter uses the words born again, right? And so some of you might be thinking, oh, you guys are one of those churches? You're one of those born again churches. Is it too late for me to leave? And, and we feel uncomfortable with this kind of language. Even, I must confess, I love the ESV translation of the Bible, but I looked, I looked, and the born again 
words were in there. I wanted to use a different translation because I know that this word has a certain stigma to it that we, we find difficult. And yet, the scriptures, even outside of 1 Peter, call us to this idea of being born again. Jesus himself in John talks about this idea of being born again to new life by the Spirit. And so, if Jesus talks about it, I think we have room to say that born again is something that we can embrace. And so other words that have been used for this concept born again is regeneration or new birth, new life, new creation. Right? That's what born again is talking about. And again, this, this term itself, even with all these different variations, it still seems odd. Right? It seems drastic and extreme. You would, you would ask, why would you ever need new birth? Why would you ever need new life? Or why would you need to be regenerated? We, we already are alive. And so when you ask those questions, the only possible thing that you think is, yes, unless you are actually dead. Right? The only reason you would need new life is if we are dead. And so even in the passage that, that Sharon read for us this morning as we confessed our sins, Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in the trespasses in which, in which we once walked. It's this idea that we are literally corpses that are walking around. A lot of you in this day may, may be into the show Walking Dead. I see some people smiling. So the idea of, of what Peter and Paul is trying to get us to is this, this idea that we are people who are walking we're walking around, we're doing all these different things. I'm standing here right now. We look alive, but inside we are dead. Our spirits are dead. Our, our spirits eternally are dead, though we walk and breathe. And so, this is the image that we get. What Peter says is that because Jesus died and resurrected from the grave to life, that those who are in Christ are also brought with him to new life, right? That the fact of Jesus' resurrection makes it a reality that we as well have been raised up with him. That despite our sin and death, as Ephesians 2 describes it, Christ breathed life into our dead souls and caused breath to, for us to inhale and to exhale. He has caused life within our souls. That's what the resurrection of Christ has done. As one preacher has said, here's what the gospel does not say in this. Right? If, we, if we take a bigger view of what this is uh, talking about in attaining new life, in coming alive, the gospel does not say that we are lost and simply need direction. Right? It's not as if we're sort of just wandering around. We just need to be taken along the right path. We are lost, but that's not what this is talking about. The gospel is also not saying that we are just unhappy and we need some joy, though we do. We need joy in the midst of our sorrow. The gospel is not also just saying that we are weak and need strength, though we do need strength and we are weak. But this weakness is not just a small weakness. It's utter weakness to the point of incapability. We are dead. And that's what Peter wants us to hear. That's what the scriptures want us to hear. It's not that just we are kind of alive or barely breathing. There are no just barely breathing people. You're either dead or you're alive. And what we want to hear today is that we were all dead in our sins. And the only way that life happens is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The same power, do you believe this, that the same power 
that raised Christ Jesus from the dead regenerates our own hearts to life, to new birth. We don't save ourselves because, you think about it, how is a dead person supposed to resuscitate himself? He can't somehow go outside of his body and breathe new life. He needs some kind of external agent to come in and breathe life into him. So this means we can't earn it. We can't be better people to attain it. Because Peter, in this passage, says in verse 3, according to his great mercy. It doesn't say according to your great merit. It says according to his great mercy. All of us are dead. There are no slightly better people or slightly breathing people. You're either dead or alive. But because Christ Jesus has shed his blood for our sins, by his resurrection, we can come to full life. So even still, you may be wondering, okay, if that's true, then why do we still physically die? Right? If all of this amounts to us going six feet under anyways, what's the point? We know that our fate's going to end up in the grave. So is, is this all just sort of spiritual talk, and is it just the same end that the Greeks thought that end of life is just, end of life, there's nothing else? Is that all this amounts to? No, Peter wants us to see something else today. Peter wants us to see that Jesus' real and factual resurrection from the grave is a picture of a real and future resurrection for us. Right? That Jesus resurrecting from the grave, not just, it doesn't just give us new life to come breathe again spiritually, but it's a picture of our future resurrection. What happened? How, how is Peter able to say this? What's his story? Because Peter, he was a disciple of Jesus Christ. He followed him, he walked with him, he believed that he was God. What happened in this story where Peter walked with Jesus? What would he say? I think if you, if you spoke with Peter, he would say that Jesus, after he followed him, eventually died on a cross, and then he was buried. And Peter would tell you that the clouds grew dark, and, and all of my life just seemed to come crashing to an end. The clouds were dim. The dark clouds seemed so heavy. There was nothing to look forward to after this. Jesus died, and he was buried. Then Peter would say, but wait, three days later, you go to the empty tomb and he is not there. Jesus resurrected from the grave, from death. He overcame death. And what Peter would say is that I know this because I saw him. I spoke with him. He came to me and he talked with me. I saw him die and I saw him rise. Jesus has resurrected from the grave. So when Peter says that you too will resurrect from the grave, it's because he saw Jesus resurrect from death, overcoming death, meaning that this life, when we die, is not the end. There is something more to this entire existence. At our conversion, when we are brought into new life in Christ, in the here and now, in present time, it is a true and lasting reality that we enter into. It is absolutely true. We receive Christ. We receive salvation. We receive life and all the promises of Christ. But there is a sense in which the scriptures say that we are already saved, 
right? We've already obtained our salvation, but that the fullness of our salvation has yet to be realized, right? That we have salvation and life and Jesus Christ, but that there is a fullness to this thing that has yet to be realized. In this life, it is as if our spiritual life is a reflection It's as if our spiritual life is a reflection of the future resurrection of our physical bodies. What happened to Jesus will happen to us. And so this brings us to our second consideration this morning. That the resurrection of Christ has awakened us with new life, yes. And it also brings us to a sure hope for tomorrow. It brings us to a sure hope for tomorrow. Let's continue reading uh, 1 Peter Let's read verses 3 to 5 now. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. All right, so we're being called to a sure hope for tomorrow. What is this hope? What kind of hope is this? It's certainly not the type of hope that is wishful thinking or where we really hope that this is going to happen, where we cross our fingers and we really desire this thing. If you've ever purchased tickets to a show, uh, you may have purchased it online or purchased it through some method where you have to go pick it up at a box office, right? It's called the will call tickets. And so even though you've paid for the tickets, you've spent money on the tickets, you've planned out the entire day, you've received a confirmation letter with your name on it, you take it to the booth, and you're walking to this booth, and you've done everything right, and you're still not sure if this whole transaction worked out properly, right? There's There's this sort of unsettling fear in you, I really hope my name is on that ticket when they give it to me. Uh, Just a quick example with this. Steph and I, back in December, I don't know what we were thinking. In the dead of winter, we took a trip up to Montreal, Canada. And so I had a truck, so I just wanted to drive in the snow. And so we trekked through about, I think, 8 to 10 inches of snow from Philly to Montreal, 8 hours. And it was a quick 24-hour trip, and it was snowing, so everything was closed. And so we had nothing to do. Um, And so we looked online, and there was a show playing in, in, in town. And so I went onto my phone... So if I was using my computer, it would have been one thing. I, I went onto my phone, who had terrible reception, booked some tickets, paid for it, and we walk. We didn't, we didn't have a car because we had to park, uh, and it was in the city. So we walk through snow, and we finally get to this box office, right? And so we're already in Canada, and so that alone should be reason for me not to trust that this is going to work out, right? And then, and then I was thinking about it this week, but that's not true because I, I feel the same way about Texas, Yet I married a Texan, and so maybe this will work out. And so we're walking up to the box office, and my hope is that, man, we spent all this money. She really wants to see this show. I hope it's there. And so luckily, the Canadians came through. We got our tickets, and we watched the show. That's great. The point is that there was this unsettling hope leading up to that, right? This idea that we, we think it's there. We're not sure. And Peter wants to say that that is not the hope that we're talking about here. Our hope is not wishful thinking or unfading dreams or, or things that we long for because this life is so terrible. 
We're not playing a game of, of roulette that we hope we would win. It's not a desperate hope or a fading dream. Rather, Peter wants to tell us that this hope is full of assurance, not uncertain expectation. It is for sure. We are being called because we are born again to assure hope. It is a living hope. It's a living, breathing hope. Why? Again, we're connecting all of this to the resurrection of Christ. It is a living hope. Why? Because Christ is living. He is resurrected from the grave, and he didn't die again. He is still living. He is alive. And so this hope is not based in anything that we do. Again, it is because Christ is alive. That's why Peter says, you are called to a living hope. Because Christ is living, our hope is in what he has accomplished and what he has done. Our hope is in Christ. This hope is sure because of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And so it's a sure hope. It's a definite hope. But what is the hope? What kind of hope are we talking about? It is for an inheritance that encompasses the fullness of our life in Christ. And that word fullness is difficult to unpack because it's just that. It's so full. Our inheritance is the fullness of our salvation and our life in Christ. It is the full possession of all of the blessings of our redemption. As Peter talks about this inheritance that we have, you almost sense that he cannot find enough words to describe its beauty and its worth. He just goes on and on in a tangent. He says that it's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. And each of those words sort of, sort of paint a different picture. Peter's trying to communicate that this inheritance is something that we've never seen before. Something like we've never even been able to conceive. He is saying that in the midst of a hopeless existence, there is a glorious reality awaiting us. Unlike the present, imagine with me for a second, it is a place that will never rot or decay, right? It's imperishable. It will never be threatened by sin or immorality or hatred, right? It's not defiled. It will never lose its beauty or its excellence. It's unfading. It's not like the flowers we see today that just fade and die, but our hope is unfading. We will no longer need locks on our doors or jails to hold criminals. Women can rest assured to walk the streets and not feel threatened. Men will be honorable. Peace will reign. Imagine for a moment what that would look like even for the city that we live in, right? Even in our own city of Philadelphia, we know the, we know the statistics. We know, especially if you've grown up here, you you love this city, I love this city, I don't want to go anywhere else. But you know that this city is broken. It's a city full of murder, corruption, home invasion, abuse. Could these streets ever be redeemed? Is the damage beyond repair? Does God abandon this world because of its disease? And if we're tempted to think that, that God in redeeming us and restoring us, takes us away on some mystical cloud to heavens up there somewhere. That's not the picture that the scripture has for us. 
right? He doesn't just say, okay, I'm gonna rescue, rescue you and take you away from this corrupt, broken world and you're gonna be flying on wings, with wings in heaven somewhere. That's not, the past, that's not the picture that scriptures have for us. Often we think that the earth itself would need to be forever destroyed, right? Forever destroyed, never to come back again. Or perhaps that the physical realm itself will cease. We've said it before in this series that, that we get in our heads this idea of a lofty kind of mystical uh, existence where the physical ceases. But as we said before in the series, redemption does not just involve the spiritual, but it also includes the physical, right? And so there's a sense in which God, what God did for us through his resurrection, through our redemption, he's going to do for the whole existence of the cosmos. And this thought, it's an amazing thought because it's not just annihilation, complete destroying of the earth. But what does the scriptures call us to believe? That there will be a restoration of all things, including this earth. Because as one theologian expresses, we've said it before, when, re, when we read Revelation 21, 22, I, I encourage you, go home and read that this week. When you read that, uh, that passage, it is not that we go to heaven, right? It's not simply just this ascension to heaven, but the scriptures in Revelation say that heaven comes down to earth. Think of that thought. It's not that we rise to just be apart from the world, the physical, but heaven comes down to earth. There is in some glorious way that these two realities of heaven and earth merge and meet and are now one. It is a place suitable for God himself to be. And surely you would think that a place where God can be is redeemed, it's restored. And so as we even think about, if you're familiar with the Lord's Prayer, right? There's this line in the Lord's Prayer that this theologian, N.T. Wright, talks about. It's almost the final answer to the Lord's Prayer in the line that says that the God's kingdom should come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? There's this idea that these two things are together in the final resurrection of us and in what that means for the world. So the picture that you get in Revelation is of God actually dwelling among us, being with us, coming down to us. You think about the first coming of Jesus Christ, right? He came down, he died, he resurrected, he obtained our salvation. That was glorious, it was unthinkable, but then he ascended. And that's good news as well. But in this second coming, heaven comes to earth and we dwell with God forever. That is an amazing thought to consider that changes the way that we see this life. It's not just abandonment. We don't just abandon it, but we even, as we've said, work towards what restoration looks like for this life. What a glorious hope to consider. Peter goes on to say that this inheritance, this hope, is being guarded for us by God himself. Right? In, in this last section of our, our passage, in the second point, God is guarding this inheritance for us. That means that no force of hell, no scheme of man can ever take this away from us. 
right? The word guard gives us an image not of someone who is holding us captive, but of one who is guiding us, protecting us. You think of a military kind of a context where a guardian is a soldier leading us through enemy territory, bringing us to freedom on the other side. That's the picture that we get, that God is guarding our faith, guarding our salvation, guarding this great eternal inheritance that we have before us. It is safe. It is preserved. And so even, even here at Seven Mile Road, some of us, I know that we are even, even, even in this past season of life, are dealing with struggles even dealing with our faith, feeling weak and feeling like it's difficult sometimes to believe in all of this. We just came out of a series called Unbelievable. And so there's a sense in which even in this life, we believe and yet we struggle. And what God wants us to hear today is that even in your weakness of faith, I will guard you. I will preserve you. Your inheritance will not be lost because it's not found in you. Again, we think this thing is sealed because of God and he will keep it in heaven for us, guarding it until the last day when Christ himself is revealed to us. So as we consider the fact that the resurrection of Christ has awakened us with new life, that we have a sure hope for tomorrow, the question is, how do these realities actually affect us today, right? We have these glorious truths before us. What difference does this make for our life? And think of those who read Peter's letter, those suffering saints who perhaps expected more pain ahead in this life, right? Or for you and me who have struggles that make it difficult to live as Christians in this world, whether it be the daily grind of life or just the difficulties of, of believing this truth in light of our suffering, this vision of hope that Peter paints for us is not disconnected from our very real lives. This vision of hope must pierce the dark clouds that tower over us and it must give us something real to hold on to. It must affect our lives. And so what, what is it that we want to hear as we end this passage? We want to hear today that the resurrection has awakened us to new life, to assure hope for tomorrow, and that it results in profound joy for today. Let's read from verses 6 to 8. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. When you read these three verses in light of what verses three to five say, right? Think of everything that we've just said. Here's the sense that we get from Peter. He is not ignoring the fact that life is hard. He's not sort of just trying to sweep it underneath the rug. That it is utterly painful at times to the point of breaking. He's not ignoring that fact. 
he says that trials will cause us to grieve and it will feel like we are being thrown into the fire like gold when it is refined. That's what it will feel like. It will be difficult. Peter himself would be later crucified. He is saying this not just as a man who's throwing out words, but he himself will be crucified soon because of his faith, because of of Christ and his belief in him. So it's not just some, some lofty spiritual words, but he's been there. Note a couple of things, though, in this passage. Right? He says in verse 6 that this is only for a little while. That this short life will be but a speck in the eternal view of our inheritance in Christ. And it's as if, though the cost is great in this life, and though it is difficult and heart-wrenching at times, that eternal reward is inconceivable that who would think to throw this away? Right, even this past week in your GCMs, in our smaller communities, you considered what it looks like to risk. And as we talk through what that means, it may have even dawned on you that, wait, believing in Christ, this treasure that we have, this is the most glorious thing that we could believe and have. At no matter what the cost, it is worth it. Right, this treasure is worth it. The reward that awaits the Christian is far better and infinitely more lasting than that of any earthly offering. That's what Peter wants us to hear. We don't deny that pain and suffering exist. It is right to mourn and to feel sorrowful. But here's what Peter is getting at. That even though our sorrow exists in a very real and powerful sense, for the Christian, there is a lasting and profound joy that undergirds him, that undergirds her, that anchors us, that brings us back to reality, to the promise that Christ has for us. This joy defies outward circumstance, and it is rooted in a realm that is beyond this world. Knowing Christ and the hope that awaits us changes everything. We no longer mourn forever, but only, as Peter tells us, for a little while. This joy transcends our trials, and Christ is seen as victor over all of them. What a glorious thought. Again, Peter, in verse 8, goes on to say that, "Though though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Peter shows us through this text that the interwoven nature of the Christian life is that of being both in grief and in joy, right? That these two things are together, but where the joy far exceeds the grief, for it is only temporary. That's what he wants us to hear. We've not not seen Christ as Peter has, right? And yet we love him and believe in him because we know him. We have experienced Christ We have had a foretaste of the fullness of joy. How is it that a man, you may may know of the hymn that we sometimes sing here at Seven Mile Road, a man such as Horatio Spafford, how is it that he could write the words of this hymn after losing his daughters in the Atlantic? 
Hear these words that Spafford wrote. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrow, like sea billows, roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. What causes a man like that to write like that in light of his suffering and sorrow? It is because the hope of a Christian is such that even when we grieve in great sorrow, we look forward in hope. Because Christ has really shattered the gates of death and of hell and of sin, and he lives. And we who have committed ourselves to Christ can expect to fully, completely, wholly participate in this future with him. And it is this reality that enables Christians to even face death without fear, right? For death itself is not an end for us. It is only a beginning, an eternal one at that. So as we close, consider the final verse, verse 9, that Peter has for us. He says, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's as if he's bringing it full circle. All of that so that you can obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. My encouragement again to us this morning is that it is worth it. Following Jesus is worth it. When we feel sorrowful, when we feel tired and weary, at all costs, it is worth it to follow him. Throughout these seven verses, right, the seven verses that we have considered, one of the clearest responses that Peter calls us to rejo- is to rejoice, right? In light of all of these things that are true, he calls us to rejoice in these, in these realities that have happened through Christ. We have been revived from death and brought into new life because of Christ's resurrection. Rejoice. We have a living hope to an inheritance that can never be taken away from us, so rejoice. We have a God who will sustain and preserve our faith until the end of his coming, so rejoice. We will endure trials, but they will only last for a moment, so rejoice. Peter is calling us to rejoice in light of this salvation, the living hope, the inheritance that is guarded for eternity for us. Rejoice. Why? For at the end of this life, we obtain the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls in Christ Jesus. I want to read just one more scripture. A man named Paul also gets this idea, right? In, in a book, a few books before this one, he says these words. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through the faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I encourage you, this day, imagine, breathe in the air of that future hope and allow it to transform your life today. Allow those words to bring us to the shores of eternity and for our hearts to respond in praise. Consider salvation's future glory in light of your present day adversity and join with Peter in saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who by his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let's pray. God, we now ask that you would again revive um, dead hearts. Uh, We are unable to do anything on our own to meet you, uh, to know you, and so we ask that even today you would cause new life. That even those who do not know you would hear these words and sense that they are not home that there is a lasting future hope, a city of God that we are citizens of to which you call us to. Awaken our hearts to you, God. For those of us who know you, may these words that Peter has for us encourage us to know that our sorrow is but for a moment, but there is coming a great morning for us in which the sun will rise and we will see brightly, the clouds will go away, and we will see Christ reigning. The curtain will be removed of the fullness, and we will obtain the salvation, the outcome of our faith. God, encourage us with these truths. Change our hearts, and may we respond even now in worship. In your name we pray. Christians, hear this. You believe in a Jesus you have never seen. You believe and love a Savior you cannot even now see. You hold in your heart faith and and things that you cannot touch. And yet to aid us as we wait for